0: you doing? It is your boy John of the Macri with you for another episode. We're a day late and a dollar short, but better late than never um, of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, It's uh, Tuesday for you, which means it's Monday night for me. So um, I was deprived of talking to my good friend, um, you know, uh, on our usual spot. But uh, it just made me want him all the much more. Uh, because that's the kind of relationship that that we have. Um, so so Jeremy Cohen, here, hold on, this is this is for you. Could you hear that?
1: Hell yeah, brother! Cheers to
0: Iraq. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm going on four hours sleep. Um, there's a reason that beat reporters don't have full time jobs. Also, because when you're leaving the garden at um midnight, and then you live in um effing long island uh it's you know it's a pain in the ass to get up at five thirty in the morning uh but you know we do it and that's 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 why god invented beer um and now here we are doing a podcast so so before we get going on all the topics of the day and there are quite a few how are you doing
1: i'm good you know i feel like uh my parents are more worried about me getting coronavirus than I am of me getting coronavirus. So that's a lot of fun.
0: My wife makes me disrobe now as soon as I get in the house. I literally – she says I can't even enter through the front door. I have to enter through the mudroom and take off all my clothes and put them directly in the laundry bin. This is insanity.
1: I mean – well, hold on. First of all, John, this is a family-friendly podcast. Um, uh, second of all, I, I mean I, I don't know. I don't know. that. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yep. Yeah. Wait, say what you want to say. Don't hold back. the 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 the, <laughs> the, the listeners know us. No, i was just saying, like, if, if maybe that's maybe that's a kink for her. Who knows? You know, just
0: matter. me. She's a. She's not that kinky. She's <laughs> she's standing five feet away from me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what he asked if you were kinky. All right, we're really getting. No! Over whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> this is not what the listeners of the next film school podcast are tuning in for. Maybe some of them are, and maybe they're the ones who need to um, look themselves in the mirror as it were. Um, Speaking of kinky, uh, the Knicks got a victory last night. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Listen, if it works, Um, we, we we do have a few important topics to get to today uh, and we will get to them in short order, but, Um, let's just start off talking about the game briefly. What, what did you, uh, what'd you think of that utter barn burner against the, uh, can we say the depleted Pistons, I guess? Yeah. That'd probably be a polite way of putting it.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, it was some great defense, obviously. Uh, it was a lot closer than I thought it was going to be throughout the majority of the game. Uh, you know, one of the things that kind of resonated with me, I, I love seeing Things that, like, you can tell that they're almost there, but they're not quite. And you pointed out in your article as well, actually, for Sports Illustrated, where with Knox and with Frank, there are these flashes where it feels a lot closer to what they will be than what they have been. And it's not like... I like that, yeah. It's not that they're there yet. It's just that you can kind of see what the next logical step is. And so it's great watching that type of performance from those guys and from others as well. I mean, Mitch was fantastic randall of course it's you always take the good with the bad i guess um whether or not fans want him here long term he's always it seems like every game there's there are positives and there are negatives and what you choose to focus on is really um the task du jour but it's a sort of thing where I, I i guess i kind of walked away with a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth not because the knicks won but i really didn't love the fact that for, I want to say...
0: It, I noticed it too. It was... I I don't know if they were... The five... You're, you're talking about the... What was it? Bullock, Ellington, uh, yeah. Rand, Randall Taj, and Elf were out there for... I could look it up, but it was a couple minutes in the fourth yeah. quarter. Yeah,
1: and it, I mean, of course, it wasn't, you know, like the last few moments of the game. But it was at the point where I kind of thought, all right, well, if you're not going to put RJ in there... And then he did come in later. Yeah. Which is great. But still, it just felt to me like you were doing... You were doing some nice things with, with the young guys and Doc can't even get off the bench. The one opportunity he has is when the Thunder are blowing them out. It's just uh, – man, you know, I, I want to say I don't get it but I do because I, there's – unless there's an edict from Leon Rose to say, hey, Mike Miller, let's get to the young guys – then what what incentive does he have to play them?
0: So this is why when I talk about this topic of playing the kids and how much do you play the kids and is it really a difference of five to 10 minutes? Is that, you know, is that what should matter? And how much do wins matter and this and that it's all of like, the the conversation is so convoluted. We don't even know what, like we don't, I was talking to, to Vork about this before the game. Like what is tanking? Like I, I, you know, we were talking about what path they should take next year, and I, we'll probably get into it, and I was like, well, I think they should tank next year, and he's like, what do you mean they should tank next year? They're tanking this year. I'm like, well, no, not this tanking, like a different, and I'm listening to myself talk, and I'm like, you sound like an asshole, because we, all of this stuff blends together in such a way that we don't even know which end is up after a while. What, what I do know is that, like, so, you know, I'm in the lo- locker room after the game, and, like. It's tough not to notice, like Mitch and Knox, like laughing and joking around, and like Knox is able to stand up there and answer questions from assholes like me about, like, "Hey, how did it feel to, you know, block a couple shots and do this?" And like, it, the fact that it resulted in a win, like, d- are are there too many dots to connect before you get from that to it somehow making the developmental curve, you know? that much steeper in the right direction. Again, I don't I don't know the answers to these questions. I'm not even going to pretend to know the answers to these questions. But, like, I can't, after a night like last night, look and be like, well, that had no value. That was a waste
1: because those five guys were out there. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? I do. But I, I'm just uh, looking at Kevin Knox's minutes tally, for example. And it's basically going in reverse order. 19, 13, 20, 17, 21, Yeah. You know, it just, it feels purely from the outside looking in without understanding maybe some of the dynamics of what's going on with the team. It's hard for me to say that that's great because it feels like these guys should be, like I'd hope from here on in, someone like Knox is rewarded for some of the play that he had yesterday. And then that momentum carries and he gets better. And of course, it's going to happen over time, right? He's going to need to bulk up. He's probably going to need to take advantage of being at the four. The idea that he's even still growing, which which I think was laid out in an article uh, with his dad. I mean, yeah. these are things that you all have to look forward to. But right now, it is very easy to say, well, why isn't he playing? I'm sure there maybe there's a more complex reason. But then again, maybe it's not. Maybe it's as simple as I just didn't really want to play him or I would – prefer to play other players over him.
0: Yeah. I. Uh, but can, can we also like, I think he's played some of the best defense of his, the, let me, let me rephrase that because putting best and defense in the same sentence as Kevin Knox is probably not fair. Let me say this. It's been a while since I could remember a play where someone absolutely smoked him or where he got like completely lost. Like, Yes, there were a few moments in the OKC game that were ugly on offense. He's had a lot of ugly moments on offense, actually, as the season's got on. But like defensively, he's in. Can we say he's in a passable place now? Like, how much do we relate that to? Like, he has six blocks in his last four games. Okay, incredibly small sample size doesn't mean nothing, probably. But I, I guess I, I, I don't know. That we're like, I let me say this. I want to see the last eighteen games, and I want to see what happens in the last eighteen games. And if the prog- if I can continue to see signs of progress at, you know, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen minutes a night, um, I don't know. It just it makes you think. That's all I'm saying. It makes you think.
1: Yeah. I'm glad that he's more aware of it because I do see these moments of him trying to become more of an all around well-rounded player. And I think that's fantastic. That's exactly what the Knicks need. They don't really need someone at the four who can just score. I mean, yes, of course that would certainly be helpful. Helps. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's nice to see the Knicks focusing on the, those parts of his game that really aren't as flashy. Yeah. And it's really tough because I think we give a lot of uh, grief to the development staff, because there are, there are times where we can't really see development occur and there are times where we can, but it's hard for us to quantify it. And I feel like it's nice to see him getting rewarded in the box score, like, you know, for those last four games, for example, definitely a small sample size, but it's nice to see that the effort is coming through and that he's able to make these types of plays and then forecasting them for later when the hope of course, is he's a serviceable player on a good team. And ideally a good Knicks team at that. Yeah. Who knows what the future will be. But it's it's hard for me to then see games like that and be comfortable with kind of like dumping him if necessary. And that's a that's a task for Leon Rose because he has no emotional attachment to any of these players.
0: So yeah, and that'll like begin to transition us into the the Chris Paul part of the conversation, which actually ties right into the the Kenny Atkinson part of the conversation, and I guess Tom Thibodeau as well, because I feel like the direction the team goes with both the coach and with this summer in terms of player acquisition or possibly sending out certain young players, um, I think it all ties together. Um, before we get to that, though, I, I do think it's worth mentioning, so Mitchell Robinson over his so his last 10 games is averaging, he's essentially averaging a double-double, 12.2 points, 9.7 rebounds, Ooh. playing 26 minutes a night, which is, I think, that's about what he, maybe not what he should be at right now, but I think it's what was reasonable to expect, Um, you know, given the fact that he is still young, still kind of, you know, can can get some silly fouls. Speaking of which, only 2.7 personal fouls per game over his last 10 in 26 minutes a night. That's easily the best stretch of his career. Averaging Excellent. yeah nearly three blocks, um, 0.9 steals. And hey, how about this, baby? I know you're excited about this one. 0.9 assists a night over his last 10. How about them You can't apples? see me. You can't see me, <laughs> but I'm fist-pumping really hard. And, and of course, most impressively, um, probably, Uh, the Knicks in his 26 minutes a game. So we're talking a sample size of now over 250 minutes over the last um, 10 games. They are outscoring their opponents. He is a plus net rating. I mean, he is... And actually, he's a plus going back more than just the last 10. He's been an overall plus for quite some time now. Um, He's the best player on the team. Um, I don't think that there's any question about that. I know it gets into complicated... Issues in terms of like, well, can someone truly be the best player on a team if they are not the offensive engine, so to speak, and someone else on the team is? Um, you know, I don't, I don't really know where I fall on that discussion, but it amidst all of the consternation, I guess, is what I'm saying about what they've done wrong developmentally. You have this from Mitchell Robinson. You have, as you pointed out today, in in um, you know, in your piece, tank talk. If you just saw the box score for Franklin Lakini, you wouldn't be impressed, but if you watch the game, you're like, oh, that's the kid that we've been wanting to see for two and a half years, and that we've been seeing, by the way, more and more and more as the season has gone on with, with some added aggression, Um, you know, Barrett is Barrett. He's doing, you know, what you'd expect, pretty much. I, I hate that they keep putting him out there with the starting lineup and with no spacing, and it's just, it's not great for him, but... You know, like I wrote today if you could dodge a wrench you could dodge a ball well this season is the wrench I you know it this all this all ties together for me because if you essentially to me it's like if you go go for chris Paul that's a sign of one of two things it's like we either need to kickstart our development because what we're doing right now isn't working and that's the that is the path that you think will work better, like bring him in here, which, you know, or is that BS and you're bringing him in here to essentially to sell tickets and, and try to get some playoff revenue. I, I, I guess I just wonder, are we at a point where we could say like, Hey, it would be silly to, to, you know, kick what we've been doing to the curb, maybe just fine tune it a little bit where we don't need to bring it a Chris Paul. Like, Do you see, does all of this connect for you or is it more like, no, Chris Paul is a column B discussion and the development stuff is a column A discussion?
1: No, I think there's definitely overlap. It's in the sense of, you know, and Alex Wolf wrote a fantastic article for Sports Illustrated. He basically, I was going to come on here and use essentially those three points, especially the opportunity cost. And he did a fantastic job of writing about it. So essentially, I don't, I don't, Need to touch it uh, because he did. He basically, has, I feel like, has a final say on it. Um, so, what I will say is, in terms of how development works or at least could work with that, um, I don't think that the two are mutually exclusive because I don't foresee this team making the playoffs with Chris Paul without some other sizable uh, adjustments. And I can't remember if, I, if it made the cut for Tank Talk or not. I wrote it kind of late. So uh, and I edited it quite a bit, so I'm not entirely sure. But essentially, it's really hard to go from a bottom five or so team into the playoffs the next year without getting a bona fide star. Uh, you know, like it, it. even Luka Doncic needed a year, right? To, and they, I think they finished ninth with the ninth worst record. Uh, the Sixers were able to do it because of the fact that they held out Joel Embiid for, I want to say, he only played 31 games. And then Ben Simmons didn't play it all that year. And then the next year, they were, I think, the three seed. So it's really not that common. And then you look at the other teams in the East, and I feel like they're, the top eight is good enough to stay that good and to stay in the playoffs. Well, sure, the Knicks could could you know, anything could happen, of course. But, but. hold on,
0: it's really not a, it's it's a top eight in, in name only because right now, really, it's a top five. The Pacers are kind of floating around that six area where they'll probably continue to float next year, and the Nets will, you know. A presuming, I don't know, utter disaster doesn't strike them in terms of the players on the court, they'll make it a real top six, then the Pacers will be seven. And then you got that, you know, you got that eight seed sitting there. So I think that, but again, why, why, why are we talking about the eight seed? Like what does that,
1: right? Yeah. Well, with the, I mean, also with the eight seed, it's hard, it's, um, Easy to remember that Jonathan Isaac's been out for quite a while. Yeah, I think they've had some other injuries as well. The Magic are a better team; they're just a little further along. We can talk about their ceiling not being quite as high, even though you know they, they have some interesting contract situations. They desperately need a point guard. But just in terms of with the Knicks, I think it would be great to have a, a really talented All Star point guard leading the team. Uh, with that said, you have to look at the opportunity cost of him costing $85 million over the next two years. Um, I was talking to my roommate about this because he said – he asked me what I thought about it and he's saying, well, wouldn't that mean you're essentially in for competing? And to me, it kind of felt like, no, you're almost saying we don't really want to compete until the end of this contract because you have to expect some sort of drop-off. And while you have to hope that the other players who are younger get better, I'm sure that they'll – you know, what their ceilings are is a question, but they will take steps to move forward. At least the majority of them will next year and the year after that. Uh, it's really just a question of what are you kind of getting with all of that? For all we know, Leon Rose could go best player available. It's not a lead ball handler. Maybe it's like a Denny Avdia type.
0: That was a name that came into my mind.
1: And then he you know, gets a trade for Chris Paul, maybe the Knicks even get back some sort of asset just for absorbing, absorbing that contract. I think you're living in a dream world, but continue. No, totally. But, but again, I I think they're going to go with the lead ball handler. I think that the Chris Paul situation is just very much connecting common threads. I don't also see why the Thunder would choose to move him and move him with assets when they're not a free agent location to begin with. That's, yeah,
0: that's the thing. And I, I think that's, it's, and it gets into what the return would be. And, uh, well, all right. Let's have that discussion. But first, um, very quickly, we're going to hear from, uh, our very good friends. We haven't heard from them in a few weeks, but they are back and with good reason because they're awesome. The Athletic. So today's show is, of course, sponsored by the Athletic. It is, if you don't know already, a subscription based sports news site for you know it, real fans. So in-depth coverage from local writers for every team, plus national writers that you already know, like Jay Glazer, Mike Sando, Mike Lombardi. It's basically all the best in the business. Um, There's no ads, there's no pop-up, there's no clickbait. Everything you read on The Athletic is quality sports writing. And that's you know, honestly, that's what you're paying for every month Uh, because how often do you like click on something and you're like, man, I wish I could just have the last five minutes or whatever of my life back. That's that's never going to happen on The Athletic. Today, Mike Forkinoff had a great piece about uh, the comparisons between, Um, I don't want to get his name wrong, Brody Van, you should know this, Brody Van what? W- w- how do you pronounce the Mets GM's name? Whatever
1: Honestly, I'm embarrassed because I'm a Yankees fan and I, I – You should know this. You're more of a baseball fan than me though. I am, but I've always thought of him as just BBW because it's so much easier. There you go, BBW.
0: Um, So he wrote a, a great piece about what can Leon Rose essentially learn from um, Brody Van Wagenen. That's what I'm going to go with because both of them were prominent agents that took over New York sports teams. Great piece. Um, If you too want to read great pieces like – Mike Vorkanoff's piece in The Athletic, and plenty more, um, you could get 40% off your yearly subscription to theathletic.com um, by uh, going to theathletic.com slash overtime. One more time, that is theathletic.com slash overtime. And again, that will get you 40% off your yearly subscription. Um, I, I promise you, I, I, I did not get any kind of deal when I signed up for the athletic and I pay full price and I've never once regretted it because it's really good. Um, So go check that out. Uh, Okay. Chris Paul. um, Can I give you a couple stats? I'm going to, I'm going to steal. I'm going to, this is me. um, Was it stealing? Who do you steal from? You bet bet, or borrow from Peter to pay Paul or do you
1: steal from Peter? Are you borrowing or are you stealing? I think think it's stealing. Oh wait, you're Jewish. Yeah, no, I'm the worst person to ask in this situation.
0: I went to th- twenty-some odd years of Catholic school, and I don't even—I should know this. Whatever. Does Mary
1: get involved here, or is that just with Mary? The band?
0: Mary is she's doing her own thing, man. Mary, I don't, oh. I, don't I don't, I don't know. I don't. Good even know for where, Mary. Yeah. Well, listen, Mary, feminism started early in the Catholic religion. Um, anyway, so I'm going to borrow from a upcoming column, um, and I want to make sure I get this number uh, right. Can you take a stab at um, how many point guards? So Chris Paul is going to pass the 36,000 minutes um, uh, threshold, I guess you'd say. Maybe not this season, probably not this season. It'll probably be at the beginning of next season. Um, How many point guards do you think made an all-star team in a season after they crossed the thirty-six k um, mark. Take take a guess at how many total point guards there are.
1: Oh God, I'm gonna go with one, two. Okay, is one of them John Stockton?
0: One of them is John Stockton, who I okay. as I uh, I may be an alien. Um, the other is Jason Kidd, uh, who actually made it twice after he crossed that barrier. Um, in addition, Gary Payton and Steve Nash. Uh, made an all-star team during the season in which they crossed the 36,000-minute barrier. Nash almost like someone snapped their fingers, became a shell of himself uh, starting the next season. Gary Payton went down um, pretty soon after that. I'm not – oh, sorry. I should say Allen Iverson technically is in this club, but he was getting voted in by the fans when he was like – several years past his his playing prime. So um, I'm not even counting him. So it's essentially two. Now, is Chris Paul in the conversation with guys like Kidd and Stockton for like greatest, you know, five, six, seven, whatever point guards of all time? Absolutely. Is there no reason why, you know, he can't join this club and make an all-star team in the East, you know, next year, maybe even the season after that? Sure. But I think everybody needs to recognize like – You're not – like in case it's not obvious, you're not trading someone that is going to be part of your core for any period of time. This is a move that is like – and that's – like immediately that's where the discussion reaches an impasse. It's like what is the end goal here? And that's what I keep coming back to.
1: Yeah. Well, it's really just – I think it's building. Is it not? That's the way I look at it. Building Um,
0: for what? Building towards what? Building like –
1: doesn't right. well, doesn't there have I to be a something that, else? Right. I don't think that Chris Paul completely takes you out of – it doesn't really restrict your ceiling. Just based on the fact over the, the final two years of his contract, just in the sense of how many of those players are still going to be on their rookie contracts. And when you look at the free agent market, it's a very different story. But what you're essentially saying is I'm very comfortable with having – Um, really $51 million, I want to say, including the Joakim Noah dead, dead salary, um, on my books for, for the second year. And for the first year, it's probably closer to 48, 49. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a really hard pill to swallow, even if your young guys are that good. And for what? Like, yes, you're getting Chris Paul, as you're saying, the drop off in terms of age, it can be a challenge. Father time, as we know, is undefeated. And what are you really getting in return for taking on that contract? Maybe it's uh, a mid-round pick in terms of the first round, and that's that's valuable. Uh, it's more valuable if you have a GM who has a team around him that really can develop players, like we talked about uh, with—I'm uh, blanking on his name—but from Denver, of course. Where? Oh, karna, karna Sovas, I think yeah. it might be. Yeah, where you know he he had sure like a Jamal Murray at seven, but. Uh, or at least him, Tim Connelly, the entire team. They drafted Jamal Murray at seven. They had some other good players in the first round, but they also had Jokic and Monte Murray in the second round. So sure, if you can use that as a way to develop your talent, that's great. But if you're doing – if you're taking on Chris Paul also for leadership or some sort of veteran approach, you could really get that – maybe not the style of play, but you could certainly get those traits for maybe – 42 million dollars less if you absolutely had to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well that's pretty and again like i'm not trying to compare someone like uh and again i'm just the first thing that came to my mind i don't want him but a uh, Rajan rondo if you had him on a minimum contract and you had chris paul financially speaking the difference is so uh it just couldn't be more different and i think 11 times out of 10 i would take. Rajan Rondo in that situation just based on what your opportunity cost is but then it's still like what are you going to do to to fill that 40 million dollars you don't have to do anything but it at least shows that you need to it's at least wise to spend something and invest in the players that you have and raise their ceiling long term so yeah
0: here's where Here's where, for me, and again, I you know, I stretch these topics of conversation as far as they'll go. Here's where, for me, like the culture conversation and how real that is ties into the Chris Paul conversation. Because if the Knicks are truly like broken, as some in the media would have us believe, and I don't, I actually don't believe that, let's just say for argument's sake that they were. And it really is like a dead zone in the garden and it's like toxic and all of the things you hear, all the words, all the buzzwords you hear tossed around, right, that we all hear. If that were true, I could almost – I could have a much easier time justifying trading for Chris Paul because I don't think there's a single player in the NBA other than, well, LeBron, um, you know, and I guess the super talented guys like, you know, Giannis or you a know, handful of other guys. But other than that, like upper, upper, upper echelon of talent, I don't know that there's anyone other than Chris Paul who can instantaneously come into your team, and especially a team like the Knicks, who you could argue, I think, that they've had the worst starting point guard play. And with all due respect to Alfred Payton and his nice numbers, you know, it kind of hurts when your um, point guard can't hit a 10-foot jumper, let alone a 21-footer. Um, I, I think it's the, – they have the worst starting point guard play in the league. Um, you insert Chris Paul into there and everything that he does and everything that he brings and just like his whole aura and attitude and the whole thing. And it would – it would be like – you know, I think of it like this. Like bar other than the one season, 12, 13, for 20 years, they haven't been able to write this ship because of whatever. General dysfunction, poor leadership, poor decision, all, all of the things. That, like, if you were ever going to do one move, that is right there for you to go out and grab. Like, you know, you can trade Chris Paul, whether you're sending out a Kevin Knox in the deal or getting back a mid-first round pick, whatever. He's there. You could get him. Like, it is the sh- most surefire guarantee to bring this guy in, and it's like, okay, we're a real team now. I, but. If you're not as broken as some would have us believe, and this is what relates to what we started the conversation with, right? And like, there is good stuff happening here already with RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and Frank Ntilikina, such that you don't need to bring in a Chris Paul, and you could bring in again, let's well, Rondo's a bad example, but like just right. Name, yeah. I was, n- yeah. Name a point guard who could be competent and, and hit a three. How about that? Um, And maybe ship out Julius Randle way or at it. It's like, Is that enough? And that's where you get into the conversation of like, all right, well, what else is Chris Paul doing? And then it's like, well, is it a greater benefit of the effect that he has on the young guys and making their life easier on the court? Is it um, the opportunity cost of the two years you're giving Chris Paul 30 minutes a night or two years that you're not giving, again, just to pick a name out of a hat, Lonzo – I was going to say Lonzo Ball – um, LaMelo Ball or Cole Anthony or Killian Hayes and how does a guy you know how does signing a Fred Van Fleet for maybe 15 million dollars a year less than Chris Paul makes how does that you know factor into the conversation when you all you have to do is pay him money less money don't give up any assets but he won't have that like magic effect that a Chris Paul will have I, I here's my ultimate point is, like, you mentioned Alex's article, and I thought it was incredibly well thought out. I think this is a more complicated conversation than some people are making
1: it out to be. Yeah. That's all I'm it's saying. Not, it's not in a vacuum. I mean, we can look at it from a financial aspect, from a player development standpoint. But how about it like this? Chris Paul is the NBPA's president. Kyrie's the vice president. The headquarters are in New York. You heard what... Chris Paul had to say about Spike Lee and the incident there. Bingo. You know that he's got a close relationship with Leon Rose. You know that Carmelo Anthony has a close relationship with Leon Rose. You consider the fact that the Knicks are very concerned about brand and perception. Basically, and I know people are going to groan at this and I, I'm i kind of there with you, but I, at the same time, I understand uh, why – at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of – for it although I'm more for it in theory than I probably would be in reality but if you put all of that together essentially what trading for Chris Paul does is extends your brand puts you in a completely different spotlight you're now pairing Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony together it brings in tickets you don't even have to assume that they're going to make the playoffs right they could make a they could be a 35 win team and again it's like oh well that sucks but as I said before If you feel confident that you can find a good player in this year's draft, add to it. You have that year of building towards the playoffs. If you're then able to finish – like let's say they finish with the 10th pick in the draft uh, in 2021. And let's say they have the Mavs pick, which they do. Um, And then there's the Pistons pick and the Hornets pick. If you really wanted to move up in a deep draft, you could. So the ability to – and that's also – there could be some lottery luck. We don't even know what happens with the Mavs. So, there's a chance that a bunch of teams in the West, like the Pelicans, uh, they could get better. The Grizzlies, the Kings, th- there's a lot of unknowns here. And if
0: they, they really just takes if one team to the miss the playoffs. playoffs, right? Of yeah. course.
1: I mean, I still expect the Mavs to do so, but.
0: Oh, I'm it, just talking about the Knicks pick. Like that's right, – that's it. so I think I actually – when I've been thinking about this, I think about your point that you always make is there's only three paths to acquiring a superstar. And in my mind, trading for Chris Paul essentially eliminates one of those paths because you're not going to get Cade Cunningham if you trade for Chris Paul. Like that's not – like barring him getting injured or something, which God knows bad luck happens to the nickel all the time, like that takes that off the table. Is that – that in and of itself, is that a reason not to make such a deal?
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's the sense where I agree with what you had said before in a previous podcast, which is I would like to see the young players kind of have this great season where – or or even not a great season. Just something where they're able to do enough where the focus is on them. But I don't think that sells. There's nothing really sexy about that unless, of course, you have a Lamello Ball. But otherwise, it's – you're kind of looking for reasons to improve your brand. And I don't think another – which would be I want to say the eighth season in a row of finishing with sub-500 ball is really something that Leon Rose wants to have because then it's sort of like this, this stench of like, oh, well, he can't even save them. And even if we know it takes time, right, that it's the first year of management, there has to be some sort of building – And the reality is that if the Knicks get rid of some of their veterans, like if they shipped out Randall, if uh, they shipped out Bullock, Ellington, whatever it may be, uh, there's a chance that the team could be worse. Now, obviously, from a playing perspective, it feels like it opened up quite a bit, especially more with with Randall being gone, depending on how pieces come into play. But it may not feel like you're moving forward based on your record. We might see it, but if it's not apparent in – winning games and that could cause a problem. Whereas if you start to see that jump or at least that step, I want to say, then it feels like a more uh, compelling rebuild. You know, things are clicking a little bit more. The the Knicks are playing around better players and not really floundering.
0: It goes back to like, you know, and I've said this so many times, I feel like on this podcast at some point, don't you just need to get some positivity surrounding the franchise? And, and, and I think if you're trading for Chris Paul, it's almost like, and this is this on one hand, this sounds like the stupidest thought process you could posit, possibly have. On the other hand, it's like, you know what? I kind of believe in it. Like, forget about, like, is it going to be this path? Is, is this path towards a star going to be blocked? Is that path towards a star going to be blocked? Like, isn't the value of just getting on a, a good path, even if that path, even if the path from good to great isn't apparent at the moment you get to the get to good? Um, You know, and again, the last thing I'll say on this before we move on, we maybe talk a little bit about the uh, the coaching. He is the president of the NBA Players Association since 2013. If he's not the most respected player in the game today, he's the second most. The only other contender is LeBron James. No one else is in that same conversation. To get that guy in your organization, like that, brings you. More credence and credibility, you know, uh, than a hundred Steve Stouts, you know, ob- goes without saying, ever could. Um, wh- you know, whether Dolan would do something to piss Chris Paul off—that's a—that's a separate conversation and a scary one, and hopefully one that we will never have to have. Although God knows we probably will. But like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I'm really fascinated to see. What they do and if they try to kind of have their cake and eat it too, keep the young guys and everything. And, and of course, uh, the first thing you said, what's the deal? Like, you know, I, I have a funny feeling Oklahoma City is going to be like, all right, we'll give you Chris Paul. Give us Mitchell Robinson. Like, if I was Sam Presti, that's what I would do.
1: Yeah, well, you have to shoot for the stars in that situation. But really with that deal, it's it very much comes down to obviously the deal itself. But – how you also frame it is such a, a crazy situation because if you're Oklahoma City, you for, you could – like if the Knicks were to receive something for taking on the Chris Paul contract, then Oklahoma – I still City's don't like, think it's happening, just, man. I'm sorry. T- I'm I don't sorry. mean, I don't mean saying, to keep saying that, but I just – I really just don't think so anyway. Right. It's it's a big contract to take on, which is why the Knicks would need to take something to kind of grease the wheels because just getting a 35-year-old all-star on a $40 million contract or so is not – it's not palatable. It's not something that we should be celebrating. So if you're then Leon Rose, you could take that angle of, look, I'm improving the brand. I'm getting one of the best point guards of this generation to help with our young players. And I'm getting key assets that I can use later, either in a trade or just to develop on our own. That is how you sell it. Whether or not we agree with it, that is a perfect way for him to do it. Listen, there's a way to sell it.
0: Regardless of what the package, I think trading away Mitch would be a tough sell. But short of uh, that, um, short of that, I think he'd be able to sell. Well, I could see a scenario where, like, you know, Knox goes out, and maybe there's some kind of like pick chicanery, or or so like you know a pick goes out and a pick comes back, something like I don't know. Um, all right, we're going to talk about Kenny Atkinson and the uh, and the Nets uh, quickly. But before we do, um, another quick word from uh, some other good friends of ours, my bookie. So, championship week for college basketball has arrived, and of course, it's time to score big on the nonstop action with my bookie. Uh, it's the best place for you to cash in on all the ex- uh, always exciting conference tournament games every buzzer beater and improbable upset uh championship week is where legends are made and you don't want to be the one to miss out on the action uh they offer live betting on every game bracket challenges national championship futures and more um i'm gonna put all my money on um let's see who's good ruckers is it ruckers gonna go to the big dance i think they are Uh, yeah yeah i'm gonna the first time in a long time give everything on Rutgers bet i 'll bet the bet the farm um they offer uh oh sorry I said that uh, so you could bet on almost anything, including the <laughs> this is funny the democratic nomination, the presidential election, even the name of the next Pope, oh boy, I would love to uh, my bookie caters to all players, whether you research each matchup or you fill out your bracket based on mascots. my bookie has something for you uh, so join now, uh, start winning big today. And, uh, oh, even better, if you're sick and tired of getting the runaround you ask for a payout, MyBookie pays fast when you win um, with decades of experience, great customer service, and hassle-free transactions. Why would you bet anywhere else? Now, here's the good part. Visit MyBookie.ag and use promo code FILMSCHOOL for a 50% deposit bonus. 50%, that could be a lot of money. So, one more time, that's uh, visit MyBookie.ag, promo code FILMSCHOOL. Bet with the biggest. Bet with the best. Only at my bookie. Um, all right. Kenny Atkinson is available. Do you want him to be the next coach of the Knicks?
1: Based on what they're currently doing, yeah, absolutely. And what I say by what I mean by that is going back to our conversation. Briefly with Chris Paul and if you potentially had Carmelo Anthony, you know, Kenny Atkinson was really about playing the guys who deserve to play ahead of anyone else. I think if you put Kenny Atkinson in this situation, he's starting Mitchell Robinson over Taj Gibson. Um, Maybe he's starting Kevin Knox over Julius Randle, although who knows? Maybe he's starting Frank Nielkeen over Alfred Payton. If you brought in Chris Paul and Carmelo Anthony into the fold and they're expecting to start and maybe Carmelo Anthony starts to, you know, not – be great. Maybe his defense is really falling off. Maybe he's just he's just kind of done. Maybe that happens. I don't know how he'd respond to coming off the bench. Uh, we saw the whole playoff p. They you know like p. They want me to come off the bench. So who knows? Honestly, uh, he's been to hell and back. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The point is with just the Kenny bit. Atkinson, I I think that he would be a fantastic addition for this team, just in terms of how he was able to help the point guards, what he did with Karis LeVert, um how he's helped or how he helped Jared Allen, he'd be phenomenal. And the fact that he and his family are in New York, I'm sure gives the Knicks a leg up. Maybe they don't have the as much talent as, say, like if the Philly job becomes available or um, if the Cleveland job. Well, although I'd, I would argue the Knicks have more talent than Cleveland, uh, at least in terms of w- their young prospects. Uh, so, yeah, I, I would love to see him here. I think it makes a lot more sense than bringing in someone who is – older and has been out of the league certainly like a uh, um, Jeff Van Gundy or Tom Thibodeau. So yeah, I, he's, he's definitely my first choice as things stand. What about you? Um, I think he's the first choice for me
0: as well in the sense that, so like, you know, like a lot of Nick fans for a very long time, Um, I'm like a big fan of the, the idea of Becky Hammond, um, from the perspective of, well, first and foremost, just being blatantly honest. I have a daughter and the idea that like, as my daughter is now of the age where if I'm sitting and watching a basketball game, she'll actually give me like, you know, two and a half minutes of her time and sit there and be like, um, the white, the, the white, jerseys are good and the blue jerseys are bad, right, Daddy? Yes, the white ones are good, the blue ones are bad. Um, the idea of being able to point to the TV and be like, see her? She's the head coach of the New York Knicks. Like that to me would almost supersede anything else, um, you know, any other consideration. That said, I, I, I'm sorry, this is also the point of the fact that she's clearly a great coach um, by all accounts and she's come up with the Spurs and has New York roots with the Liberty and it's, it's, it makes sense for a lot of reasons. But as we know, this city, this city chews up and, and spits out a lot of people, but there is something about being a head coach of a pro sports team in this city that leaves you particularly susceptible. And, you know, you just think about like some of the, like the, the true like personalities and you know men who have left here, like just utterly neutered. like Rex Ryan is the first one that comes to mind, right? Like he left that job with the tail his tail between his legs. Um, and we could think of a lot of other examples. You know, guys that came in with amazing resumes, like I, I don't know how any first time head coach, let alone someone with the pressure of being the first female head coach in in professional sports history, um, would deal with that. Um, so, and putting all that aside, I just, I have a funny time seeing pop, like giving her his blessing and be like, yeah, go, go try to get that organization out of the hell that it's been in for 20 years. Like, I I don't know. I just have a a tough time seeing that. Would I love it if it happened? Absolutely. Do I think it's going to happen? No. As a result... Yeah, I think Kenny Atkinson is the best is the best person for the job because he has some gravitas. Um, I don't know if you speaking of the athletic. If you read the athletic piece today by Shams on how everything went down in in um, the you know in Brooklyn, apparently Atkinson wasn't willing to back down off of his convictions. And part of the reason he doesn't have a job today is because he was like, "No, this is how I'm going to run my team. Um, if you don't like it, you know, tough shit." And they basically agreed that, like, all right, it, it 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 was if it was going to be his way or the highway, then you know they had him hit the highway. Um, you know he was an assistant here. I just there's not a world where I could see another reasonable hire being better than this guy. The question for me is, does he want to come here? Which you know, I don't know.
1: We'll see. Especially since there might be better jobs available, right. Yeah, I'm with you in terms of Becky Hammond. I am concerned just looking at the list of coaches that the Knicks have had over the last 20 or so years. How many have never had another head coaching job before? And so it would be one thing if if Becky Hammond weren't even a woman. If, if this were just another man coming into coach and something goes awry as it often has in the past and he's out of a job and then it's really tough for him to get back. You know – from what I get the sense of, uh, first of all, I would imagine Becky Hammond has career aspirations to be a head coach. She may not feel she's ready. She may feel she is. Um, as you said, Pop, maybe he dissuades her. Maybe he says uh, you want to find a position that's comfortable comfortable for you. Um, who really knows? But it's the sort of thing where I would imagine she, she could potentially be up for the challenge. You know, she played in New York. Uh, so it's not like she's not – familiar with oh, what the city is like. I'm sure she she would not going right. to be scared. Like No, it's less about scared, it's no. more about a level of comfortability where it it can be tough to be a trailblazer. And I hope that she is the first female head coach in the NBA. I just I'm I'm concerned that this is the right place because of a lack of prolonged stability here. And if you take that, you know, Whatever her thoughts are on that, she could certainly disagree and, and maybe she does. Um, she probably feels she's the best person for any job. The sort of thing where – I, what I'm looking for right now is a coach who has a track record. Um, it's, it's not to say uh, – from a head coaching perspective, right? Like the – with Kenny Atkinson, what's so great is you know that he has, with the staff that he had, been able to really mold these players and we really don't know that about becky hammond uh we didn't really know that about Fisdale. i mean he had a head coaching job beforehand so that was a little tough uh same with jeff hornasek he also had a head coaching job he had a great season in phoenix before he lost the locker room and things went a little awry uh it, the, the point is that and even well actually with mike miller too um uh, he did a great job in the G League, and Becky Hammond did a nice job in the Summer League, too. I believe they even won the championship while she coached. Is that, isn't that right? Sounds about right, yeah. Right. So you know that there's promise there, and even that's the reason why with Mike Miller, he's got interim head coach experience, and I still am skeptical that I, he'll be the next it's guy. Not,
0: it's not going to happen. Like we right. just, Look,
1: I, I like Mike Miller
0: a lot. I think he's done a nice job. He's not going to be the head coach next year. It's just – it's not going to happen.
1: So I feel like when you when you kind of gather all of that, and sure, yes, having a name, and even Becky Hammond is a name, absolutely. I just don't know if she also carries the experience with that name that the Knicks are looking I, for. And the same could be said, obviously, of any male head coach. I, I got to tell you, though, man. Male it, assistant, coach, and, um, assistant it, coach as well.
0: The, the first thing that you just said before, uh, I want someone with a track record, it, it sounds like you're – I know you're not, but it sounds like you're talking about Tibbs. No, like,
1: no. I mean, the person I really want is
0: Kenny. Atkins, no, I know, but um, right. but, hey, that's my point. Is if that is really your reason? Like, there is nobody else on the market right now. who uh, Put Jeffing on the aside because I have trouble having this conversation about a man who hasn't coached in the NBA in what twelve? Is it ten years? Twelve years? At least ten years. Yeah, it's a decade. Like, I just that's I'm. I don't know. I, I just I can't. Like would it? Would I feel like would a smile go ear to ear across my face if I saw that man on the sidelines? Of course it would. Like every Nick fan, it would. But like I just I don't even know where to begin there because of how long he's been out of it. Tibbs was a coach in the league a year ago. Um, like literally, he was a year ago when he got fired, um, and he he wasn't even doing that bad of a job. He was had like a, almost a five hundred record. Um, I you know, and I know they're concerns over how well he adjusted to, you know, the as the league grew to adjust to his defensive schemes. And when we, we kind of had this conversation already, so I don't want to belabor the point, but like, I don't, I don't know. There's, there is, it's, it's, it's exactly like the Chris Paul thing in that there was every reason to look at it and be like, ha, stupid Knicks doing the stupid headline grabbing thing with like, all, well, all logic would dictate, like, this is the last thing you should do. And yet there's a part of me that's like, you know what? Guy was a damn good head coach for a very long time. He didn't forget how a coach. Um, and he he definitely has improved some, some players in his own right. If you give him the right type of players and ones that are, you know, willing to defend and play, you know, unselfishly and all of the things. Do you want to go through some of the candidates that could become available before we get out of here? Yeah, because
1: the one thing I was going to say is if I had asked you five days ago, oh, the Knicks should go after Kenny Atkinson, you would have called me crazy because he's not getting fired and why would he leave? Exactly. So, so much can happen. I mean, if Brett Brown becomes available. Well, let's – hold on. Let's
0: go through – I'm going to go through the standings. So um, Bucks, Raptors, Celtics, Heat, Pacers, none of those guys are losing their jobs. Brett Brown. Is Brett
1: Brown appealing to you in the least? I don't I don't see why not um I I mean, look at the, look at what he was able to, to develop and essentially what you're looking for or hoping for with Becky Hammond Brett Brown has already done that coming from the same coaching tree
0: yes um so spoiler alert um your Wiseman uh the author of the new book um, I keep wanting to call the book "Trust the Process," but that's that's not <laughs> the name of the book. It's tanking to the top. It's basically a book all about the Sixers, um, and and the process. Um, I fantastic book. He's going to be on the pod on Wednesday. There's a lot. There's a lot about Brett Brown in there. Um, and I'm not even saying any of it's bad. It's not a lot of it's. it's he i have come away impressed with him. There's nothing a, about him that's like ooh, I want to get that guy to be the next coach of my basketball team. And that's if he even loses his job, which who, who knows if he will. Um, Steve Clifford's probably safe. Um, Scotty Brooks is probably safe. James Borrego, who cares? Fred Hoiberg is probably going to... Lo- oh, wait, no, sorry. Fred Bo- Hoiberg already lost. Launched- <laughs> well, Fred Hoiberg is available. <laughs> do, you want to the, do you want the Knicks to look at the Fred Hoiberg? I'll, I'll pass yeah. there. I don't want any Hoiberg Yeah, no, no. Hoiberg ball. Me neither. Um... Who was the guy that got fired from Cleveland? The the old Michigan coach, uh, whatever.
1: Oh, uh, Bailey Bayline. Yeah, Bayline?
0: no. Uh, Lloyd Pierce. Any any anybody. So I I don't know if you listened to the the Low Post um, podcast this weekend with Arnovitz. They were they were referencing, and it was like they were in on the joke, and we weren't referencing like like the worst kept secrets in the NBA in the beginning of the episode and then later they were basically talking about the Atlanta job as if Lloyd Pierce was going to get fired. And it it sounds like it, that's the secret they were talking about. That's the worst kept secret in the NBA. Um, I don't want any part of Lloyd Pierce. I, it's like, if he couldn't keep a job in Atlanta where there's like zero attention and like all of that for whatever, as the same period of time, it's like, he's, you're going to hire him in New York. Like, no, thank you. um, all right, now let's get interesting. Mike Malone.
1: Um, I, I don't think he's going anywhere. I just look. He just got a contract extension. They're the three seed.
0: Am I, I'm talking about the right guy, the coach of the Nuggets, right? Yeah, he just got a contract extension. Okay, fine, great. They're the three seed. They are currently slated to play the Houston Rockets in round one. Are you telling me if they get eliminated in round one, you, you think he's
1: safe? Yeah, I do. Because oh. if you look at the if you look at the core that they have, it's like what, 24, 22, uh they've got Gary Harris who's 26, uh, Michael Porter Jr is 20, 21. It, like there's they're young enough and they've made strides that I think he'd be perfectly safe. Um I'm just I'm pulling
0: up his his coaching record cuz I'm curious. Uh what? Oh yeah, that's right. He started out with the Knicks. He was an assistant coach and a scout back in two thousand three, two thousand four, two thousand four, two thousand five. Um, I don't was it one of those. I think was the Larry Brown mirror maybe o three o four. I have to look this up now because I'm curious. Uh, oh wow, we had three coaches in o three o four: Don Chaney, Herb Williams for a game, and Lenny Wilkins. Giddy up. And then Lenny Wilkins and then Herb Williams the, the next year. Good times. Good times. Um, okay, okay. Moving on. Uh, Mike D'Antoni. Yeah. I think that, I think that's in there, has, done that. I think that ship has sailed. Um, okay. Now here's probably, oh my goodness. Wow. some Someone, someone is excited for the name that I'm about to mention. Um, that's
1: probably just a coronavirus patient.
0: <laughs> That's, you, you have one every episode. You're awful. Um, uh, Terry Stotts. So Terry Stotts has been the coach of the Portland Trailblazers for, uh, I'm going to look it up right now. I want to say it's been, I'm going to guess and say eight years. Let's see how close I get. Um, He has been the coach of the, my God, he has four hundred. Sixty-eight wins, four hundred fifty-four losses, though. So he has been the coach of the Portland Trail Blazers for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. This is his eighth season. I was right, right on. He also had stops being the head coach in Atlanta and Milwaukee earlier in his career. Um, I think there's a real possibility he loses his job if they don't make the playoffs. Their defense has been atrocious this year. Like
1: atrocious, atrocious.
0: Any interest with Terry Stotts?
1: Yeah. You know, I think he could use, or at least uh, Neil Oshie could say the fact that he lost so many players to injury could be a factor. Uh, So for example, Zach Collins has been out for, I want to say at least three months. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic has been out the entire season. They had, uh, they made that trade. They had Hassan Whiteside. I mean, Yes, of course, you need to do a better job of coaching him, but he's just he, he's he's a great shot blocker but really not a good defender. Um and of course it's it's troubling when your backcourt is so good offensively but that bad defensively. And you'll lose Dame for a few games and then of course there's a a game like the Jazz game where he was he should have scored and they called it a block but it was yeah. goaltending. Yeah. Th- things that just kind of like isn't I guess basically the the motto for Portland this season was probably just shit happens. <sighs> and one. I could see him being let go because of the fact that they went to the Western Conference finals last year. And sure, they were swept. It, it might just be time. Went there. Right. And then he, he can't even guide them to the playoffs. And again, yeah. there, are, there are reasons why he couldn't have. And it's a stacked Western Conference. But also at the same time, if you're Blazers management and you see a young team like the Grizzlies ahead of you, with, led by a rookie, John Morant, and you look at Damian Lillard, who is, for all intents and purposes, um, a top 10 MVP player, or a top 10 player this year, and you're thinking, how is it that we can't even get into the playoffs with him, and we don't, we're not going to trade Dame, and we've got all these other pieces, how can we not make the playoffs here? And sure, I'm sure uh, that it's very easy to say to Terry, Stotts, you're gone, we want to change. I in work. I don't know if he would be the best person. Yeah, uh, is, like what? What is
0: exciting to you? I'm not saying you, but like, per, like the rhetorical question: like, what's exciting about like? Look, I obviously the guy I could coach, but like, there have been a lot of guys that could coach that have come through here and failed. Mike D'Antoni, Jeff Hornacek, um I'm sure. I'm, fuck it, Larry Brown. <laughs> Jesus Christ, uh, Lenny Wilkins. Like th- these guys aren't bad coaches. Um,
1: yeah, you sell the. the- Sell the fan base on what he was able to do with that Portland backcourt, having that explosive point guard that so many fans are desperate to have. Yeah. Great. Is he bringing Dame with him? No. Right. Exactly. That's, but that's, that would be the angle in terms of what we've been able to help develop. I can do that here. And just based on that track record alone, I think a lot of fans would be comfortable with it.
0: I am going to say something probably pretty controversial. Um, give me tips before give me, before stats. I would rather have the guy that knows this organization inside and out and that is coming in with that relationship with Leon Rose where and it it went it went askew because of, of because of a lot of reasons but like there is still something to be said for at the basis of every good organization that makes like good decisions and decisions like in unison, it's a, a coach and a GM and a president that are in lockstep with one another. And, you know, if you, if you care to read, like look for the, like the tea leaves, like the, there's always been a lot of like, I don't want to say backstabbing within the Knicks in terms of like front office management, like this and that. Like, I mean, look, look, look what happened with fizz um the second things got tough it's like uh, sorry um it, it's yeah i'd rather have tibbs um
1: and then well, the, one it, with, the one thing with one thing with stats and tibbs uh, that i also find interesting is a lot of fans might say well tibbs plays all of the starters to the point where it's too much yeah you know, that's management. that's
0: an organizational i'm sorry that's an organizational decision
1: well what i was going to say is that you could say the same thing about Stotts, who constantly plays yep. one of, if not both, Dame and CJ pretty much at all times. And he he relies on them. And when they can't contribute, the Blazers can't succeed. Yeah. So it's just something to keep into consideration where – and I, I think this is a, a point in the Tibbs column for what you're saying. If you're going to harp on Tibbs for not playing guys and be cool with Stotts, then you're ignoring the fact that Stotts is also playing his stars – to such a degree, and at this point, he has to because it's desperation.
0: Yeah, um, trying to think of anyone else that we met. The only other guy that um, I think is worth keeping in the back of our minds is, from the last coaching search is uh, Jerry Stackhouse. Um, just because I don't know, um, he he's a name. Kind of, which checks that box. He has maintained a good reputation. I know Vanderbilt doesn't have a good record this year, but like he's, from what I understand, done some nice things down there in terms of developing their players and whatnot. Um, And I don't know. He just kind of is a guy that's had that aura about him for a while as like, okay, this guy is going to be a good head coach at some point. Um, I don't know. He's the only name from the last coaching search that, like, I remember, like, uh, at the time before they hired Fizz, I'm like, I'd be okay if they hired Stackhouse. Um, And I think I would feel the same way now. But other than that, I don't think there's anybody else that I really, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Anybody else for you? Yeah,
1: I would add Dave Yeager. Oh, yeah. Dave Yeager. Just in the sense of he... I really loved what he did in terms of pushing the pace with Sacramento. And he did this a bit, I want to say, in Memphis. Uh, It's very curious as to why he exited both places so quickly. I want to say with the Memphis situation, he kind of just didn't want to be on a team that was in decline. And I think the opportunity opened with Sacramento and then – the big reason with Sacramento is apparently because of the Luka Doncic and then him not getting along with Vladi Divac because he really wanted Luka yeah. and um, uh, he being Jaeger and of course they went with Bagley. So, you know, I think he's shown that he can also work with young players and maximize their strengths. I think it's interesting that we don't hear nearly as much about Deer and Fox under Luke Walton. Yeah, uh, that's true. Well, he's been better of late, but yeah. Yeah, but I'd say overall it's, it feels like his stock compared to where he was last year is not as high. And that's fine. He's still 22. He's got a very promising career ahead of him. But it's the sort of thing where the work that he was able to do in both those stops was, was decent enough. And yeah, I think no. it's at least worthy of conversation. And something else about him, I feel like he's always kind of had that, that fire when I watch him coach – like certainly Luke Walton maybe doesn't have I, as much he's a little bit more laid back but that's I love I love when the fire when your father's Bill Walton. Uh, yeah, and so, you know, I don't know, something else so it'd be fun to do like Jaeger shots. You could do something fun with that with the brand Steve Stout I'm serving you up on a platter. I'm serving <laughs> that up to you on a platter. So I ju- I mean who I, knows?
0: But, I didn't tell you what beer I opened to start the podcast that I literally just had the my last sip of it, it was indeed a Guinness. So I am okay. all I am all aboard the Steve uh Stout um (laughs) yeah they they, they don't pay me the big bucks for nothing um bandwagon um all right we've talked for over an hour uh which we always say we're not going to do and we always inevitably do uh jeremy cohen um you can be seen nowadays uh writing your tank talk column for the next film school newsletter which is very good and entertaining um i laughed a few times when i read it today um and you uh you're on this podcast anything else you want to Say before we get out of here.
1: I went on the Posting and Toasting Show podcast. Yes. Past weekend. Yes. Uh, a lot of fun. That. Thanks to Schwinn and Drew for having me on. Uh, yeah. And Lance Thomas is totally Jenny And right, I know not, you take that offensively, but we're not, we're I meant not that in this. an endearing way. I don't care how you meant it. it I laid out the reasons on Twitter and they were very, very honest and candid and appreciative okay. of Lance. You're, almost. You're, you're the mole on Jenny Sack's
0: ass. How about that? That's, that's, that is, that is my response. You and Schwinn and Drew, you're all the mole on her ass. That is my response. We're
1: trying to pay a compliment and you're just taking it the wrong way. I,
0: you, you can, you can shove your, shove your compliments in a, sack. I know that's not how that phrase goes, but whatever. All right. Um, This was fun, as (laughs) always. Uh, Everybody out there, uh, thank you for listening. Um, I always forget to do this. Thank you to Andrew Claudio for producing the show. He has produced the show now for a couple months. He's doing an amazing job. Um, And uh, yeah, we will be back, uh, like I said, with, uh, barring any unforeseen events, uh, my interview with Euron Weissman on Wednesday. We'll talk a little little Sixers, a little A little little nicks, too, because there's some tie-ins there. It'll be a fun conversation. And then uh, one more guest coming up later in the week. And then, um, yeah, on to the weekend. But we will talk to you before then, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your...